our goal this weekend is just to be encouraged by God. For some of us, we just need to be reminded of who God is and what he would have for us. Um, my name is Tim Heist, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, um, and I lead our middle school, high school ministries here at Timberline Church. And in middle school, we like to do something at the very beginning of most of the times we meet. And we say, hey, you have the opportunity, you have the opportunity right now to be hands up or to be hands down. To be hands up and to be open to what God may have. Maybe to be reminded of something about him. Maybe for the first time to encounter who he is. Maybe just to be open to see what God may have. Or you had the opportunity to be hands down. To be closed off. Maybe you got drug here with family or friends or whatever it is. And you're like, I'll put my time in and sit here. But I'm pretty closed off to what God would have. And I want to invite you um, this morning to be hands up. To just be open. To see what God may have for us. To see that the God that created us um, maybe wants to engage with you or me today. So about two weeks ago, we had a middle school state treat. Middle school state treat is a time where we gather a bunch of middle school students together. Yeah, there you go. A bunch of middle school students together and do crazy things all over the city. We do different activities and events and different sessions. And I had the opportunity to speak in these sessions. And middle school is wonderful. It is like speaking in the middle of a football game because things are just going on. You have no idea what it is, but it's happening. Um, and things are going on. Uh, but we asked two questions. Two questions. The first one is who am I? Who am I? Easy for middle school students. Come on. The second one, who is Jesus? Two questions. Who am I and who is Jesus? Big questions for adolescents for sure. And I think big questions for us. Questions that I still wrestle through many times. Who am I? Who is Jesus? What is that? How do those two play together? How does who he is define who I am? All these different things. And no matter where we're at, if this is the first time in church or we grew up here, um, these are questions we still work through and wrestle. Two other things also come to mind with those. Peter Cruyff perhaps said it best that there are two things that all people want or all people need. This is to be known and to be loved. These things inform one another, don't they? Right. So often I change how I am known because if people actually know who the real Tim is, they're probably not going to like me, let alone love me. So, so what I do is I change how I am known and who I am so that people will love the thing around me. So what happens? I create someone I am not, promote the unreal me, the others might be okay with, and hope that people like that Tim. And many people do. Well, it feels like they do. So then I am loved, but am I truly known? Well, no, I'm not known at all. Recently, we asked the middle school group of boys what their favorite movie was. So right now, don't yell. In middle school, they would yell, but here, don't yell. Um, what is your favorite movie, right? And we went around the circle, and the first student shared, oh, my favorite movie is this R-rated movie with all these inappropriate things. And that's not what he said. He said the title. But this R-rated movie. And our leader looks at him and goes, like, it's not. It's not. We know you haven't seen that. Well, what happened? The next student shared, oh, that's my favorite movie. Third student. That's my favorite movie. How did, how did you know? The fourth student, right? The whole way around. Why? Well, they wanted to fit in and be known or be loved, but they gave up being known. They weren't unique anymore. They gave up who they were so that they would fit in and so that they would be loved by everyone there. Being known and loved is a powerful thing. Even just being noticed is a powerful thing. I think of times in my life where I've been at a meal or with people and went home and felt like, man, I don't even know if people knew I was there. Like, I was just completely oblivious, or everyone else was, to me being there. Anyone else ever feel invisible in a situation like this? My dad growing up um, was an entrepreneur, and we would have to go to the bank often back then, and we would go to the bank and stand in line. 
And it is historic that my dad would feel invisible and make sure everyone else knew that he was invisible, which was kind of the irony, right? So there'd be someone behind him in line. He'd be next in line. The teller would say, uh, next. And what would happen? The person behind him would go up and he would go, he'd be looking around. He'd go, Tim, am I invisible? And I'm like six. And I'm like, I don't know. I see you. Maybe no one else does, right? Or someone would bump into him and he'd be like, I'm standing here. And they look at him like, easy. You're like, okay. Um, Classic. Or the door would be held for a whole group of people and he would get there and it would slam shut. Yeah. And he would say all the time, I'm invisible, right? It's funny. And I love joking about it, (laughs) thinking about it. Um, But what about when we actually do feel invisible? What about when we actually feel worthless? When we don't feel important to our family, our friends, the boss we work hard for doesn't even notice us, or ultimately the God that we know created us doesn't seem to see where I am. We find ourselves saying things like, God, do you see me? Do I even matter to you? Surely you can't love me. And then it gets really intense. God, I love you, so you have to love me back, right? See what we do? We give up being known so in hopes that we're loved back. I put my hope in that my behavior will get his attention, that God will notice me, and maybe if I clean up my life and go along with what everyone else has done, he'll actually see me. As we see today, the love of God is so much different than that and goes so much beyond, so further than we could ever think and fathom. Our time this morning will focus on Psalm 139. In college, I'm so grateful. I had a professor um, that made us memorize passages of Scripture. Not like one verse, but like chapters and chapters and chapters. And this was one of the chapters we had to memorize. Um, And I'm so thankful now for that. Looking back, frustrated, I told him many times, you shouldn't grade me for knowing Scripture. But I'm thankful that he did. Really thankful that he did. Psalm 139 has been one with me that I remember in times of celebration. The highest and the best moments of my life, it's there. And in the darkest moments, the nights I can't sleep, the nights my brain runs with the anxieties that I don't need to think about or give time to, the psalm has been there. It's reminded me of the strength of who God is. It's been one that stuck with me through the winds and the highs, and one that I cannot forget in loneliness, pain, and heartbroken days. The Psalms were written by David mainly to express himself and who God is. And thankfully, we get to still have them today. He goes into how God created all things, knows all things, takes time to specifically know you and me. There's great comfort in being known, and we'll see that here this morning. Well, if you want to read along, Psalm 139 um, is where we'll be. Psalm 139, and I'll start us off by reading verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Well, on the back of your bulletin, your program, um, there's a few points. If you're filling those in or following along, um, point number one on there. He is a God that knows all, yet chooses to know me. He is a God that knows all, but chooses, yet chooses to know me. We see that God is all-knowing, yet fully personal. 
right? That he knows, David talks about how he knows his very tasks, the things that don't matter. For me, going to the grocery store, yet God still knows it. Doing task after task, yet God still knows. I think about how David said, you know my very thoughts, my imagination, the things no one knows, the things that are most personal to me, yet God knows them dearly. The words, the good words, the bad words, the said words, the unsaid words, yet you clearly know all about me. There's great comfort in this. There's great comfort in being known, that we're not alone, that we're not isolated, that someone is there with us. I think about many times when I get to meet with families um, in crisis, and I'm thankful for those opportunities where I can help people, encourage them, perhaps provide resources. And I think about these conversations, um, and usually they close with a prayer, and after the prayer I'll say, man, thank you so much. How else can I help? How else can I support your family? How can we, as a church, support your family? And more often than not, most people just say this. I just want it to be known. I just need somebody to know. Don't need you to do anything, just know. There is strength when someone knows. There is strength when we know that God knows. There's also a sense that if God knows all, I'm doomed. It's utterly horrifying to think about the fact that, wait, God, if you know everything about me, my thoughts, my behavior, my imagination, um, that's something I don't want you to know. Right? Those are dangerous things. And what happens? I'm worried that God knows the real me, so I try to change the real me so that God will approve of who I am. And so many times in my life, that idea has really scared me. But I'm thankful that God doesn't draw the line at knowing the real us and not loving us. But he goes so much further than that. About a thousand years after this psalm was written, the Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews, this very thinking, Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to him to whom we must give an account. Whew, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. A few weeks ago in middle school, I was sharing, and one of the beauties of middle school is students just yell whatever they're thinking. And I shared something very similar to this. And sweet Claire in the front row looks up and she goes, Tim, that is just not affirming. <laughs> right? Sixth grade. And I look at her and I go, Claire, it's not affirming. You're right. You are right. Similar here. Wait, if God knows all and we have to give an account, that's not affirming. That's not a good thing. So what do we do with it? Okay, if we go back to the garden... Very perfect. God's creation is there. It's made in his image. It's made exactly how he wants. Genesis 1.27, in the image of God, he created them male and female. Perfect harmony. Everything is right. Connection with God is close. What happens? Sin enters the world. Brokenness enters the world. Curse enters the world. And we're separated from God. We see something really interesting. Perhaps that speaks into this. We see that Adam and Eve... Didn't go to God, and they're like, oh, messed up. But they went to God, and what? They covered up. They realized they were naked. They changed who they were in hopes that God would then begin to love them. Something scary we all do. Our natural instinct is to change who we are, what we are about, how we are known so that we can be loved. We often try to prove how good of a person I am to God so he's nice to me or loves me. Or I try to remind him of how he should know me. But the real me, the me only I know, man, that cannot be found by God or I'm doomed. But here's the hope. Paul in Romans 5 shows us, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, right, reconnected back to him, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? The stuff that scares us, we're saved from because of who his son is. The fear we have, the attempts we've made to hope that God loves us there, suddenly don't matter when we put our hope and our strength in who Jesus is. Man, wherever you find yourself today, be reminded that you are known. And be reminded that even though that God knows your deepest things that no one else knows, he still chooses to love. And when we go to him, we can be engaged and connected and reunited back to him. David wraps up this time in verse 5. He says um, that, God, you hem me in behind and before, places a hedge of protection around me. You know what's going on, and then you protect me, just like he did for Job. You are ahead of where I'm going, and you are behind of where I've been. Like a physician or a Hebrew father that passes a blessing on his son, you place your fatherly hand of love upon me. Wow, he knows all, but yet he still chooses to know me. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Point number two, point number two, he is a God I cannot outrun. He is the God I cannot outrun. Uh, Being a middle school, high school pastor, my whole life is random. So I decided to share a random video with you this morning. There you go. We do not have legal rights for the pigs or the guy. Just thought you should know. Um, (laughs) That's up at Harvest Farm. Awesome up there. If you haven't been there, we took our middle school students up there. And they have pig races. But the pigs don't run. Like, they open the gate and they just stand there. So you have to make them run. It's not really a race. It's more of a, I don't know what it is. But it's nice to look at. But he is the God we cannot outrun. The God we cannot outrun. David changes from praising God for knowing all things, yet still choosing to know him, and praising God for being in all places and in all situations. I cannot escape your presence. You are in the heavens. You are in Sheol, the pit. You are in darkness. You are on the farthest side of the sea. No matter where I go, you are there. Man, that's so good to know. No matter what I do or what I face, you are there. I think of friends that I have that are facing dark times brokenness in family, addiction, whatever it is, sickness, but yet God is there. And I need to be reminded of that, and I think we all need to be reminded of that. We see this attribute of God all through Scripture. In the garden, he shows up after sin enters the world in the midst of the morning to Adam and Eve. In Exodus, he invites the Israelites to join him. They complain, so he goes to them in the presence of the tabernacle. In the story of Jonah, the prophet literally tries to lose God by running to an opposite city in the other way. He finds himself in a raging storm on the sea, yet there God is. In Jeremiah, the Israelites break a covenant going back to Moses and live the way of the godless and find themselves facing 70 years of exile. Okay, we had this Mosaic covenant, and God said essentially, hey, you, have a, you are a chosen people, you have land, and you will be my people, but you have to follow my ways. 
They followed another way, not his ways, and they faced an exile. They lose that connection. They lose that land, and they're facing life in another country for 70 years. We pick it up in Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Classic verse that we all hold on to, where it says that God knows the plans not to harm, but to prosper. Plans for a future and all these pieces. So good. But here's the crazy part. 70 years, most of the people would die by the time that they would see his faithfulness show up. Man, even in the hardest times, the times where God feels far away, even the times where I don't know if there is an end, that God will show up and be faithful there. He knows, he cares, he loves, and he steps into. If you're anything like me, sensing the presence of God is really difficult. It's fleeting, right? There's times in my life that I celebrate and feel close to God, and then it's gone. And there's other times in my life where it is dark and anxiety-filled, and God does not feel anywhere near. And these times are fleeting, and they're hard to hold on to. And so often I blame him for not being there or even blaming him for allowing things to happen. Funny that I don't blame him for protecting me or being with me in those times. In the classic novels, The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis kind of takes this intangible idea of God's presence and puts it into something tangible. And we see in all through the book, excuse me, the lion, the witch, in the wardrobe, this brokenness, this curse, this darkness that cannot be broken, this isolation, this aloneness, this lack of hope. In chapter 1, we see this wardrobe, right? And they enter into this world that is always winter but never Christmas. The hope never comes. In chapter 2, the witch enters the scene. And if I was writing the book, no one would read it. But also, if I was writing the book, I would also introduce the good guy with the bad guy. But C.S. Lewis doesn't do that. And I think it reminds us of so often in dark seasons, God feels distant. In chapter 3, we see brokenness and pain, confusion. Chapter 4, no hope, darkness. Chapter 5, stuck in winter. Chapter 6, nothing. But then in chapter 7, we see a change. And C.S. Lewis introduces the character of Aslan, representing Jesus stepping into this brokenness, this darkness, and bringing hope even in the worst place. We'll pick it up in chapter 7. As the beaver was afraid the trees would hear, he pulls the children in closely and says, They say Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was, more than you do or I do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it is something that's happened to you in a dream. Someone says something which you don't understand. But in the dream, it feels as if it has enormous meaning. Either a terrifying one that turns the dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely one, too lovely to even put into words which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get back into that dream again. Man, reminds me of the presence of God. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside of them. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holiday or beginning of summer. Man, I'm thankful that God is a God that we cannot outrun. That no matter where I feel, what I sense, how alone, how isolated I am, that God pursues us and steps into that. 
that we're not stuck in winter, that we're not stuck in isolation, but he is willing to step into our world. Man, today, if you find yourself in a hopeless situation where you feel like God is distant, know he steps into that. Know that even though you don't feel that he is faithful, that he is still there. Know that just like in Jeremiah, 70 years of exile, surely God can't be there. He is there. Put your hope that he is there. If you find yourself running from God in a situation that you feel far from God, know that even there he is. That the night will one day shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David continues in Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And I want to invite you, let's read this part together. Let's read this one together. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Point three, if you're following along. The God that created all informed my body. The God that created all informed my body. If we think back to the very earliest part of our understanding of God, we see that we did not just show up on this earth. We're not an accidental mix of atoms and biochemistry, but that there is a driving element of God-shaped, God-formed, God-breathed life into my bones. In Genesis 1, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. It is one of the most powerful statements and proclamations to know that God did not just create Adam and Eve in this way that he created you in this way and me in this way, that we have intrinsic value, dignity, and worth because we are made in the very likeness of God. Our value is not tied to our performance or how we function, if we are good enough, if we behave the way the Bible says, or if we contribute to society. But we are important and fully valuable because we are made in the image, the very likeness of who God is. Man, this changes everything. It changes how I view myself. It changes how I view others. It speaks life into all situations. C.S. Lewis, again, one of my favorite authors, spoke in another book and shared about how if we actually understood that, if we actually understood that people are made in the image of God, it would change everything. It would change how we see all people, no matter the color of their skin, ethnicity, social status, economic status, intelligent, mental abilities, or age. He essentially says that if we would understand that the people we do life with, we joke with, we marry, we snub, or perhaps the ones we even exploit are one day going to become immortals, that God will transform them from all eternity for all eternity to the greatest beings, suddenly it changes everything. No longer am I looking at you as someone out there, or you're looking at me as someone up there, but as someone that God will one day renew and give a new body and will be there for all eternity. Man, it changes everything. For me, it's really easy to treat people I know pretty well, right, because I want to be loved. It goes back to that thing. But the people I don't know, the people that aren't like me, man, how do I do with that? How do we do with that? I think about driving. For me, this is the true tell of where I'm at. And often, um, people, um, 
are great drivers. And do a little, little cutoff. And what I say often is not in the image of God. It's not often that I would know this person. Um, happened the other day, cut me off, should not have thought or said um, what I did. And pull up next to the person and realize I actually know them. Um, sorry, Pastor Derry. <laughs> Hope you didn't hear that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What happens? When we know someone, we treat them with value, but when we don't, it changes. Man, but what if we treat people the way God does? What if we see people the way he does, that they are made in his very image, in his likeness? Wow, powerful. Psalm 139, 17 through 24. I'll just read this for us today. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake... I'm still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from you, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The last point, he is the God that leads the way. He is the God that leads the way. David ends his psalm reminding us that the thoughts of God are so far beyond our thoughts. We can't even fathom or wrap our heads around him. He continues to say, I can't even count them, they're too many. And he praises him for those things. He continues and says, I can be assured of these things. Since I am known, since even though I am known that God is still with me, even though, God, you know all things, yet you still love me, I can literally go to you and be fully vulnerable, hands up, and say, search me. Unlike Adam and Eve covering up in shame, going to him with boldness and saying, here I am. You know all. You formed me. You are with me. You go before me. You've been where I've been. And suddenly we see that David is standing pure before God. You know all anyways, you know the shame, the darkness, the hiding I feel, and it all falls away when I invite you to be part of my life. So here I am, like a patient that yields to the doctor or clay that is shaped by a potter. Take my life, search me, rid me of my filth, and lead me in your way everlasting. No matter where you find yourself today, be reminded you are known by the creator of all things and creator of you, you are known. And you are loved. No matter what darkness you face, know that God is faithful. That he can step into that. And even though it doesn't feel like he is close, he is faithful to be there. I'll close with this thought. As a child, I grew up in a home where my bedroom was attached to the attic. So as a six, eight-year-old boy moving into this house, it was cool for a day. And the steps would go up to our full attic um, but it, my imagination will get away from me, right? So I'd go to bed, a young lad, and try to sleep, but often couldn't because my imagination of all the things that lived up in the attic. So at night, I would sit there, and I would try to go to bed uh, with my imagination, my anxiety running crazy, and have no other thing to do but to go, Dad, Dad. How many of you guys have kids? In the, in the, Dad, right? My dad would come over. And he would sit with me. And his presence brought peace and I would be able to fall asleep. Well, my dad, the brilliant man that he is, said, well, if I put a lock on the door 
and flip it so Tim, little Timmy can lock and unlock the door, um, he can be safe. But what my dad didn't understand that if there are monsters in the attics, the lock isn't strong enough. So, and they go up and down both. Um, so my dad would put the lock in the door. I'd lock the door. And sure enough, when my mind would wander, I would have to yell out, Dad, Dad, Dad. And my dad would come and sit by my bed. And I'm reminded that so often in our lives, we need to yell out to our Heavenly Father. That no matter what we do, no matter what safeguards we put into play, sometimes it's just not enough. Our anxiety runs crazy. Our isolation runs crazy. Our lack of connection runs crazy. But we need his presence because his presence brings peace. Well, at this time, I'm going to send it over to Pastor John in Windsor for a reflection time. And here in Fort Collins, I want to invite you for a short reflection. Perhaps today you just need to be hands open. And you need to say, God, I don't know where you are. Reveal yourself to me. Remind me you're with me. Maybe you need to say, God, remind me that you know me. Maybe you need to send a text to someone else and say, hey, remember, the darkness you're in, God is faithful. Maybe you're facing something right now that there's no way that God could be a part of it. Or he could be faithful or his presence could be there. And I want to invite you to go to him. Invite his presence in. Maybe God feels distant and you're on the run, but you just need to come back to him. So Cam, would you sing this song over us? And as you do, um, let's engage with who the Father is. So, Father, we come to you this morning with hands open, accepting of this reckless love you have for us, that despite who we are, you still love us. Despite what we face, you are still with us. Father, we're thankful that we are made in your image, that we have value. Would you help us to see that value in others, to treat people as if we're literally treating you? Father, for those in this room right now facing a darkness with no hope, we pray that your presence and your peace would be there. That it won't make sense, but that you will step in and you will be with them through that time. Jesus, for those in this room that feel like they're running from you, trying to escape who you are, would you give them strength and courage to come to you? For hope. In your name. Amen.